When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus. It's time for the between Christmas and New Year episode of the Brighton Rock Podcast. Oh yes, episode 187. I'm, co- I'm, I'm hosting alone. I don't have my co-host with me, but I have an able deputy who's stepped in. Haven't seen him for a few weeks, but it's a very welcome return to Mr. Robin Worley. How are you, sir? Very well. Happy belated Christmas. Yes, a Merry Christmas to all our listeners and a Happy New Year. Um, I say all, that implies there's more than one. Um, sorry about that. And to Mr. Joe Bloggs from wherever you are. Um, no, it is a Happy Christmas indeed for once, because for the first time in 12 attempts, we've won a Boxing Day on the day Boxing Day fixture. And it happens to be against Brentford, who I remember us beating at Gillingham 3-1 on one of my rare trips to Priestfield. Um, so, um, yeah, another two-goal winning margin, same as then, 2-0 on this occasion, Robin. Um, I'm imagining, because you're based in the northeast, that you didn't get down to the Boxing Day 8pm fixture <laughs> at the most transport-unfriendly apartment yeah, transport you're, you're correct. ground in the country. I didn't, I didn't, <laughs> make, it. I didn't make it. Yeah. Did you catch it on TV, though? Yeah, I did. Yeah, I watched it. Absolutely. Managed to... Actually, I mean, for yeah, for those of us with young kids, eight o'clock on Boxing Day was actually ideal because by the time <laughs> they played with their presents all day and eaten, you know, their weight and whatever, they were both asleep before kickoff. So that is the one, from a selfish point of view, that is <laughs> the, the silver <laughs> lining of the kickoff game. Yeah, I mean, we have argued to death on the last couple of episodes about the ludicrous nature of an 8pm kickoff. I've listened to a couple of podcasts, sort of national scale podcasts, who, who have both sort of quoted how ridiculous it is that any game is on that late. And in fact, we're suggesting the notion that we should go to having all of the fixtures at the same time, perhaps at three o'clock or two or whatever, um, on the same time on the same day, which would be interesting. Um, a bit like end of season fixture where it's it's kind of untouchable. So, because I'm not, I've never been a big fan of Christmas fixtures as such. I have gone to Boxing Day games and enjoyed myself, but it's never been a big tradition for me to go. It's not something I've specifically looked forward to. No. And, and I'm putting it to eight, eight o'clock or even five thirty would have been uh, a write-off for me. Basically, uh, three o'clock would have been awkward. 
uh, but I would have done that one. But uh, yeah, it's a it's a no no for me. I was watching on TV as well. But what's your what's your thoughts about TV scheduling for Boxing Day? Any, any thoughts on that? Aside from I mean, eight pm is clearly an, an idiotic. Yeah, idea, I mean eight pm is clearly a nonsense. I mean, I think there's merit in the idea of putting them all on at the same time, and I think it would be a natural one to give to Amazon. So yeah, they could they could show them all, and then you can just see so choose choose which one you're going to watch. I think it's. It does yeah. seem a bit odd. Um, and it is one of those things where particularly now we've got full stadiums, it does lend itself to potentially giving advantages to other clubs. You know, we were never, with an 8pm kickoff and no trains and, you know, not everyone being able to park, even without COVID, I don't think yeah. we would have, I don't think we would have had a pretty decent attendance for an eight o'clock on Boxing Day. No, because our, our ground is the most reliant probably in the country on sustainable transport, isn't it? Public yeah. transport. Yeah. So it's a no brainer. Yeah. And I mean, I suppose the other argument is you could have some games, for example, if Sky did want to cover some of it, you could have Sky having two or three games on the 27th, particularly if that yeah. is a, a bank because holiday. At least people. You've got yeah. the run all the way through. So, yeah, I just yeah. think Boxing Day, I mean, the interesting thing is, is that you see a lot of the media and a lot of pundits and a lot of football officials, they have a pop at any of the managers who suggest that the festive fixture list isn't, you know, traditional and important. Klopp, mm. you know, being the yeah. the obvious one. But on the other side, they then don't schedule it in the way that actually lives up to it being traditional and important to the fans. So you mm. can't have it both ways. You can't say it's this really important institution in British football where everyone wants to go to the football on Boxing Day, etc., but then mm. schedule it in a way that makes it very difficult for large amounts of people to actually attend. Absolutely. Um, really. And the crowds from various reports I'm hearing, um, anywhere between, I mean, some people are saying it's as low as 10,000. I don't think it was that low, but I think it was probably somewhere in the 14, 15 range, I would guess, maybe slightly yeah. more. Um, but that is a massive drop-off. That's nearly 15,000 or maybe more than 15,000 people that didn't show up. As you said, various reasons are to blame for that. But um, going, you know, if you're going back to original traditional fixtures, you could say, well, we should be playing a game on Christmas Day and a game on Boxing Day, <laughs> which would be even more, even more um, detrimental yeah. to my attendance chances. Yeah. I reckon Christmas Day you might get, I reckon Christmas Day you get a load of people. It's a good excuse to, in-laws are coming round, and I'm, you know, got to go to the football, sorry. Yeah got to walk off the 8 billion calories you've just absorbed yeah. um, and that sort of thing but yeah. interestingly 8pm on Christmas day would probably be a more popular slot yes yeah probably would because you've had your <laughs> Christmas dinner you've had a few beers already pile off yeah. to the football yeah so do 8pm on Christmas day I'd be up for that I can't say I would but nonetheless <laughs> yeah who knows anything's possible now isn't it really well, the game itself, I mean, just to go through it, and um, we had a reasonable lineup this time. We had Sanchez in goal, Lamptey, Webster, Byrne, and Kukurea as the back four. Uh, midfield, we've got Lalana, Mwepu, and Moda, and McAllister making a start, which was interesting. Um, a player I'm a big fan of, and um, I think he will go on to talk about him in a minute, but I thought he, he gave a good account of himself, uh, argument for starting next game. Um, Trossard further forward with Morpe. And of course, those um, those latter two scored the two goals that made the difference in the game. We only had one booking, which was Webster, and the subs for what it's worth is Grosh, Sherpin, Alzate, Welbeck, March, Richards, Leonard, Turns, and Ferguson. So again, some youth on the bench. And of those, of course, we saw Grosh, um, Alzate, and Welbeck come on in due course for Lalana, McAllister, and Trossard. So that was that was the general um, background lineup stats and so on. Um, 
And yeah, I mean, the game was, it started well. I think certainly we were better in the first half than the second, um, much like the Wolves game, but with very different uh, effects and outcomes. Um, 50% possession each way, which is unusual for us. Win, lose or draw, we usually have more percent possession. We had 15 shots to their 16, Brentford's. Um, five on target to their six. And um, they had more corners than us as well. So, yeah, the stats would suggest they had a good share of the game. But I think they were chasing the game from the the point where they gained all the stats that make them look favourable in that little readout there. Um, What did you make of the game? Because I thought the first half, Robin, was pretty good apart from the goals, obviously. And I thought we played well. I think we did as well. I think we benefited from the fact that they had both of their first choice wing backs not playing. Hmm. Um, And particularly on the left side, I think it was... a. He was making his debut. I forget his name. Yes. Apologies, everyone. Yeah. But yeah, he was making his debut. And I think they then had Canos playing at right wing back, which is obviously not his natural position either. That's right. Normally plays and further I think forward, it, yeah. it showed because they, they gave the ball away quite a lot, particularly in those wing back channels. Um, but yeah, and I think we played very well. It was, and it was, like you say, it's a pattern of a lot of our games recently. But obviously, the obvious dis- difference was that we took a couple of the chances. Um, Sanchez didn't have an awful lot to do in the first half Um, concerns well not concerns but I mean there's still an issue around our defending of set pieces we did look a bit vulnerable in the first half to a couple of corners Um, but yeah I think we played largely played very well they 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 helped as I say but they gave they seemed to give the ball away quite a lot which having watched them so far this year a few times was quite uncharacteristic for them if you read their forum their fans were particularly scathing about the nature of the first half performance not much you can do about the selection obviously I think Henry was Henry was unwell I think so but it, yeah it's more the it was more the the sloppiness of of their performance which I mean I guess you're going to explain by there's probably combinations in there of people who've not played together some people haven't played at all in the team so to be expected, but we uncharacteristically for ourselves took advantage um, yes, on a couple of occasions. But yeah, I mean, yeah. first half was very good, really. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Completely agree with that. But I think we were missing some key players still, although we're getting more towards full strength. But of course, we were still missing Dunk and we were missing oh, well, Duffy as a possible filler. And also, of course, Basuma, who had to serve his suspension. So we got through that unscathed. And I have to say, though, our missing ingredients were replaceable with like for like of sorts, at least. Um, so I guess we were better able to absorb the changes, um, particularly at centre-back, because you've got obviously Byrne and, um, and Webster would have played at some point together, either in the two or a three. And, um, you know, the rest of the team is still in shape. So that was, that was fine. I thought Mwepu in particular had a really good first half. I did claim him to be man of the match for me. Um, there's a few candidates. So we'll get into the whole breadth of the game in a minute but I thought Kukurea was close behind you could argue the case from McAllister who I mentioned earlier and a couple of other players as well besides who I thought had, had very good games but um, I think certainly in that first half I think we were looking on top and Wepu was running things obviously he set up the first goal as well with that that pass after winning the ball from a 50-50 situation um, but he just added a bit of bite and I don't know a bit of tenacity and a bit of know-how in the midfield um, that was looking good and um yeah, he did his uh, computer work, didn't he? Uh, with a well-read ball um, through yeah. for the first one, which was, I mean, that was after the half-hour mark, uh, Trossard. Um, I spoke to Raymond, friend of the show, the gent, uh, today actually about the game, and he made the observation, which I think is pretty pertinent, that 
we're not scoring many goals still, but we are scoring good ones when we do. If you look at all three of Morpay's goals, West Ham, Southampton and this one, and Trossard's goal in this game, um, Trossard's goal against Brentford last time, actually, as well, um, we've got, and, and Wepu's goal against Liverpool. We've had a lot of good goals. We just haven't had that many goals overall. But if we can keep our ratio like this and score goals like the two we did on Boxing Day, I'll be very happy because both of them were brilliantly taken, weren't they? Yeah, and I think allied to that, we're not we're, we're still not conceding that many. Yeah, one of the That's best defensive records. The luxury of um, of being able to do that. But yeah, I mean, it was a great finish. It was one of those ones where you, when you, when you watch it in real time, I thought he's got to be offside. My hmm. my, I said, my first instinct was that's offside. Um, but it's one of those ones where because where the line where the you know the lines of the the turf were, you yeah. didn't even need the lines on the screen. You could see he was, you know, he's kind of a leg on side as it were. Um, but it's, I think it's one, it's a really difficult finish. It looks really mm. easy, like you know, it looks like he's just you know dinked over the keeper. You're, he's got to realign his body. You've got to get exactly the right kind of weight on the on the lob. And obviously, you know, match of the day. I don't know if you've watched it, but they were. They were very complimentary about the finish. Um, yeah, they were. But, yeah, yeah, I mean, great goal. Yeah, I mean, firstly, Mwepu, shades of his League Cup assist as well. Very similar through ball from a similar position, should say that first. But yeah, I agree with you on the finish. I think when you first see him make contact, you think it's maybe going a bit too far to the left. That it's going to go out. But he, he's obviously accounted for a kind of weight drop or whatever you call it, where the kind of yeah. the ball leans as it travels. And it just, it was absolutely perfect. It still had a fair bit of pace on it too. So there was no chance of underhitting it. <coughs> Josh yeah, Charles, uh, Josh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, I mean, it was a great, uh, it was a great, um, great finish. Yeah. And then of course it was only a matter of something like eight minutes later, I think, wasn't it? That um, Morpe, um, well, did what eventually turned out to be finishing off Brentford. Um, with a goal after some really good build-up work down the left-hand side. Um, it, I looked at it, there was something like nine Brentford players all on that half of the pitch, most of whom were in the defensive third. Um, so they, they'd all been drawn over. We were playing quite intricate football in a short space. Looked like we might give it away, as we've often been want to do from time to time. But we managed to get it through. And by the time it got fed to Morpé in a fairly central position, um, you know, he had a, a, a free shot, basically, although... It was getting closed down. Two players came close to blocking it, but he still had to do some work, didn't he, to get that so far in the oh, corner? Oh, that was to... perfect. I mean, I think yeah. say on match today they said that was all. That was a better, a better finish than Trossard's. Yeah, because there was mean, pressure the, on it. And the keepers on the keepers standing that side of the goal anyway, and he still gives him. No, he's getting nowhere near it. Yeah, really delicious. <laughs> um, but I think it was a really intelligent run from Morpé as well. He found himself in the ten position. Really, didn't over. Right. He, he, he was involved in the build-up. Yeah. yeah, yeah, he was kind of in the quarterback yeah. pocket, really, um, which perhaps the defenders weren't expecting because he he found himself in, you know, in acres of space. Really, like you say, he's still got to still got to finish it, and we know we've seen him make a mess of chances from that position amongst you know Lalana and Moepu and lots of other players. But so it was nice to see one, you know, nestled in the top corner. Absolutely. Yeah, it was great. Um, so a really good first half, I think definitely on top. Um, and then at half time, um, there was, I think, I'm trying to think, I've just lost the stats now, actually. But I think, did they make a change at half time? Yeah, yeah, they made one. Well, we did, we did, didn't we? They made one, I think they made one in the first half. Um, Buemo went off, I think, before half time. Then they mm. made a second one at half time, I think. 
which was well back coming on, wasn't it? Um, and obviously we made, you know, um, Trossard for well back at half time, wasn't it? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So Trossard, I've heard Graham Potter say somewhere in one of the interviews that uh, he was feeling a small pull or kind of uh, some, something possibly. So it's precautionary more than anything. So obviously wise to do. I, I'm guessing the plan was to get well back some time, but not as much as 45 minutes. So he, he did say the implication, the way he said it, he got a good 45 minutes. And the, the implication in his eyes was that it was a bit more than planned. Um, obviously would be, wouldn't it really, when the player coming back from injury. Um, but the fact he's supposedly got through the 45 OK could bode well. There's talk of having discovered the the, the true root of Welbeck's problems in regard to his hamstrings. Um, and obviously, he's had the operation, he's gone through that, and he's come back over a period of time. Now, I don't know, I don't want to get our hopes up too early with Welbeck, but maybe, you know, maybe this is a positive new dawn for, for him if he can stay fit. I mean, the only, the only counter to that is you look at the calibre of clubs that he's been at in terms of the medical resources yeah. that they've got. So you think, I mean, I'm not, I'm not kind of doubting that we have, you know, we've solved it, but devil's advocate is if you've been at Man United, you've been at Arsenal, you've been in the England setup over a number of years, yeah. what are the chances that we've spotted something, or, you know, our medical team have spotted something that, that none of those medical teams did before? That's yeah. the only kind of counter it, I suppose but oh, it's, it's possible isn't it it's possible but, but yeah it is yeah. I mean you hope I mean I suppose you know it's it's he seems to have come through it with no no real negative impacts he still looked obviously he looked a bit rusty there was a bit of the Craig Mikhail Smith second touch was a tackle um occasionally but you'd expect that after what three months out I think he's been out for pretty much but he looked, pay- I mean, he, he didn't look off the pace too much, I don't think, from an actual mm. physical, you know, speed point of view. So he's obviously come through it with with minimal complications, you'd expect. So we'll yeah, see. Which, which is great. And um, I, I think the other thing is, obviously, we talk about Morpay, you know, a lot. Of, it seems like he's taken, you, you see, he's, he's very much a confidence player. And as such, I think those sort of players always take things to heart a lot. And you can sense from interviews, um, both when he was getting his equalisers and also since. Um, everything seems to be about responsiveness with him. And he, he very much is an emotional player, isn't he? Um, I'm obviously delighted that he's gone a, on a run now because he missed the Wolves game. He's on a run of three goals in consecutive games. Yeah, all of which were good finishes, um, showing his confidence. But the fact he's, you know, a lot of the whole the shushing, the cupping the hands, it's all, it's all about kind of really feeling the moment yeah, for him. Yeah, it was him. quite interesting. I mean, from a motivational point of view, it's, you wonder, it's, and is, was it worth... I know it was only a minority of Albion fans giving him some stick, but then mm. you think it's almost... It's kind of worked, hasn't it? <laughs> you know, from a kind of motivational <laughs> point of view, um, it's yeah. worked. Um, but yeah. yeah, I think you're right. I mean, he is, he is clearly one of those strikers who really needs to be thriving from you know from goals and I think he's he looks a lot more confident there was that period when he wasn't scoring where he was really missing was it the Leeds game when he missed that absolute sitter yes was it Leeds? Yeah. I think it was wasn't and, it and he had a tame shot later on as well and yeah straight to the goalie no, same no, game. No, it's very cliched mm. and it's very obvious so when strikers aren't scoring goals obviously they're not going to look as confident and they're not going to be, you know, as decisive yeah. in their decision making. But he is, you know, it's it was a great goal. 
it was just mm. it was a really good finish. And yeah. I think both of those goals, if Man City had scored them or Liverpool had scored them, you know, people would be raving about them, both of them really. Yeah. It was a shame in a way that the game for once it wasn't for selection, general selection reasons that we're on last match of the day. It's because of obviously the late kickoff, the yeah. editing and everything. Um, but, you know, it's a shame it didn't get more analysis, um, but it um, certainly at least they showed and appreciated the goals. I do think with Morpé, I mean, that Leeds game, I think it was, he played really well, apart from those chances. Yeah, I think it was the Leeds game, I'm thinking. So his general work is OK, and his general work and his overall finishing is appreciated by the vast majority of Brighton fans. Obviously, people get frustrated when there's a, a, a lean patch, which all strikers are going to go through. Yeah, Harry Kane's just come through that as well, hasn't he, to be honest. And um, yeah, it, and it's, it's great that he's come through that. But I do think it's great that we also have, hopefully, Danny Welbeck as, as somebody to take the weight off the shoulders a little bit and to have filled in, for example, in the Wolves-type games where you know, more plays out because of... Uh, COVID or it could be another reason, you know, suspensions or whatever else. If we do need at least one more of those players in, obviously the transfer window is coming up and we'll probably talk about that a bit later, but um, we do definitely still need another striker, even if Welbeck is able to stay fit all season. Um, but it's it's good that for his part, Neil's getting the goals. You know, he's up to seven for the season now. We're talking yeah. about, um, we quite often you hear people quote 20 goal a season and we've quite often said 20 goal a season is a ridiculous figure. Nobody apart from the very best players get that. Um, however, 15, yeah. I mean, he's currently on course, I think, for exactly 15, isn't he, on average, um, as yeah. it stands. Given that he's had a lean patch already this season and given that we might be um, getting strength that might help enhance his play in the second half, who knows? Yeah. Um, there's every reason he could do that. He's up to... Well, I think all of his goals have been in the league now, and I think he's on... Seven, I'm not sure. He's got seven for this season, which puts him on 25 Premier League Didn't goals. It was only a couple away from Glenn Murray, I think, in terms of top division goals, I think. It's two away, yeah. isn't that? Two or three um, away. Yeah, he must be close to Murray's, Murray's tally, yeah. yeah. And, you know, if even if he doesn't get 15 or 14, if he gets 12, well, that's better than he's done in the previous two seasons to yeah. start with. Um, in a season where he's had a lean patch. So not not bad going, really, no. uh, given that we don't create as many chances at the moment. Um, so I think lots of positives there. As, the longer he can stay confident, the better, absolutely. Um, with with his goal, by the way, we should give credit as well to Modo, who got the assist, of course, for that one. We haven't mentioned oh, yeah. that so far. So Mwepu and Modo with the assists. Yeah, lots of M's involved in the goals at the weekend, <laughs> which is nice. <laughs> um other results going our way as well. We were able to bounce up four places in the table. I think it was back up to ninth. Yeah. And um, we've still got a game in hand on some of those teams around us as well, which is great. Um, so, you know, that, that bodes well. We've only been outside the top half, I think, for a, a week or two. And, and half of that was due to us not playing a game on one occasion. So, um, you know, it, it, that, those three points are very, very timely, aren't they? For no matter how long this record's gone on, the fact is at this stage... If we haven't haven't got a win by now, this would have started to get both frustrating to a larger degree, but also worrying because yeah, you Chelsea have away to go into the turn of the year, would you? Yeah, you know, Chelsea, we never get anything away. Everton, we never get anything away. Yeah, no. Um, but I mean, I suppose the other points to mention are that Sanchez was back to his well, not best, but you know, top performing. Yeah. From a you know kind of shot stopping point of view, yeah. Kukurea's clearance off the line was remarkable. Oh yeah, that was brilliant. 
has <laughs> you know ridiculous hair and you've got no idea quite where the ball's going to go when he heads the ball um even when he's heading it you don't know if yeah, he's heading exactly. it it's a bit like um, <laughs> It's a yeah. bit like one of those kind of medieval maces, isn't it? You're never quite sure where it's going <laughs> yeah. to go. And they did put us under a lot of pressure. I mean, they yeah, had absolutely. three pretty good chances there. So I'll give you, they could have won the game. Um, Sanchez, you mentioned there's two saves in quick succession, wasn't yeah. there? There was um, um, the first shot, which I think took the deflection. He, he, he managed to steer it with, yeah, with it a slight his... change of direction thing yeah. off his foot and got it top top of the goal, so to speak, sort of and wide and higher. At the goal, um, and then shortly after, he yeah, makes a save, diving to his right at the cost of a bang on the shoulder to the post uh, to, yeah. to save another shot. Just after that, um, which was both of which are really top class saves, are really good. And I think he went flying in for the Cucurella clearance. He, he went in. I thought he was going to get to that. Yeah, not quite decisive well. to be honest. Um, but luckily, we had Burn and Cucurella uh, going in, and Burn didn't get in the way of Cucurella being so tall. I thought he was actually going to be detrimental to us clearing it. Um, And I think, yeah, Sanchez's distribution, I think it was a pass particularly in the first half as well. So I think all, I mean, not that he's had a particular bad blip, but there have been slightly kind of hairy moments. Um, So it was good to see him back, get a clean sheet. Obviously, you know, another clean sheet, but, and look slightly more solid with it as well. Yeah. Yeah, it's, um, I mean, it has been called into question a little bit, has been in some quarters. I think I think Peter's mentioned actually on here that um, he's not been at his best, and distribution has been part of that. Um, I do think the distribution was 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 back towards its best, and again, it's probably confidence, isn't it, involved in that? Um, but um, yeah, the saves—he's always been capable of a good save, but I'm glad he got the two because I think even if that hadn't have ended up threatening our result, which it possibly would have done. Um, it's still good to get a clean sheet. I think it builds confidence within the whole defence, particularly when you've got a bit of a makeshift set up in terms of first choice, at least. Um, so, you know, it's good for Byrne. It's good for Webster as well, who's still easing his way back in um, and, and just good for the team in general. Yeah. yeah. Um, what's not good as we're recording this is um, Crystal Palace are 3-0 up on Norwich. So they'll go back above us pending our next game, which is a bit irritating um, if it stays like that. But um, that's not exactly a surprise. We'll we'll have two games in hand over them, I think, won't we? We would, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, The goal difference was, uh, well, there'll there'll be one above us on goal difference, I think, now, as it stands. So um, it's still fairly close. Uh, But in terms of, I mean, you know, you look at the table, I don't really see us getting troubling the relegation spots at all. But Norwich losing again, um, their defence looked absolutely woeful. And Nor- uh, Newcastle, I didn't watch the game, but they um, appear to have been a bit unlucky. They played a, a still abject and United, even under the new guy, uh, Ranić. Um, they went a goal up with a cracker from Maximan, so Maximan um, and then they conceded a sloppy equaliser. Um, they could have grabbed it right at the end, but didn't. Uh, in the end, that's two points dropped from the winning position. Oh, and yeah, I mean, the bit the, there was also just right after start the second half so maximum missed an absolute sitter should have yeah. been two um, yes yeah yeah so. and then of course he and wilson have both gone off injured they both pulled up which is never a good thing it wasn't a contact injury and um they're saying wilson might be two to three months so maximum maybe not as bad as that but you know it's looking worse and worse for newcastle isn't it how hasn't been able to make an impact same with smith at norwich those two are looking ever more likely to go down the only downside from an Albion point of view, as I said, I don't think we can get anywhere near those guys anyway, but um, in a way, probably more of an issue is the fact that Newcastle 
The one area they didn't particularly need to strengthen in this window coming up is up front. Now they might feel they do, and that could maybe see them fishing in the same pool as us. Mm. For strikers, I'm talking here, obviously. Um, so it's uh, that, that could be irritating. Yeah, um, I mean, I think the other thing about the Newcastle game or Newcastle situation that's worth reflecting on is the fact that they've not had any games postponed. So they're one of the few mm. that's played 19. And yes. obviously, they're the one club, we want them to play as many games as possible before, before the transfer window. <laughs> yeah. So that is, yes. that's worked out nicely. And on the flip side of that, you've got Burnley, who are now virtually four games behind. Um, mm. And they've got a very small squad indeed. Don't, I mean, in terms of strength and depth. So it's going yeah. very well in terms of, obviously, you know, we're two behind, but Burnley are another two back. So you've got one club who... We want to get lots of games out of the way and for them to lose or not win, and that's happening. Burnley will struggle, I think, having to play. They're going to end up... There's going to be a patch of the, the season where they're going to be playing a lot of games in a short mm. space of time, and I'm not convinced their squad can handle No, I agree with you. That. I think the two different situations, Newcastle and Burnley, are both favourable. I agree with you on that. And I, you know, what do Burnley do? They've, obviously, they're the right side of the transfer window to address the issue. But do they bring in a load of loans? They're not going to compromise their overall policy and sign loads of players now, particularly no. when they're under threat of going down and they'll be on, everyone will be on a new Premier League contract. Um, so do they get people on loan? And can loan players do well enough for you? Do they have their heart in it? Uh, maybe this is their season to go down. I mean, Watford, as we speak, are losing 3-1 at home to West Ham, so they're still deep in trouble. And Leeds have played most of their games, I think, They've got one in hand on um, Newcastle, for example, I think it is. But but they've played most of their games and they, they're shipping goals all over the place, really. Yeah. Um, so, interesting what's going on down there. Around us, though, we're back above Leicester for the time being, which is yeah. great. Um, they've had a lot of injuries, to be fair to them. But, um, you know, we've we've had some as well. Let's, let's be fair to ourselves yeah, as I mean, well. Yeah, exactly. We've had, we've had a few. Not I the mean, media think... ever mention it, but no, not us anyway. Having, having the Man United game postponed in particular was mm. a bit of a help because I, I think our defence for that game would have been um, yeah. would have been slightly um, below par <laughs> probably the best way of saying it um, yeah. but yeah I mean we're absolutely fine I agree with you I can't see us being sucked into it but there is an element of we've got to be wary about we've got to keep a a kind of a, a weather eye on things. So based on that, it's nice to see, um, you know, Newcastle struggling, Burnley struggling, Norwich struggling, Watford struggling. To be honest, I think it will be three from those four. Yeah. I think Leeds yeah. will probably have just enough to not go down. I think it will be three from those four that will probably go. Yeah. All right. Yeah. And so to part two of this festive episode with me, Russell, and with him, Robin. Uh, Robin, just one final um, follow-up comment before we get on to other subjects. We were talking about um, Newcastle before. One point we just made off air, just to reiterate, is um, um, obviously Eddie Howe's come in and has really struggled to turn things around. The irony is, um, I wouldn't say so much from this season, but certainly from previous seasons, shows that um, Steve Bruce actually was doing a relatively good job with very poor resources, I think, particularly in defence, um, a rudimentary championship defence in, in essence, and yet he kept them fairly solid and fairly 
unleaky, at least until this season, where things have just come off the rails. So um, you could almost argue Farker as well. Things have gone even worse almost, haven't they, so, since Dean Smith's come in. Yeah, so. I think we've talked about Steve Bruce a few a few times in previous episodes. And I think mm. particularly the other thing to mention for him is that obviously under him, they also brought in the, the decent players that they've got now as well. Almiron, Wilson, mm. Sam Maxima. Um, mm. So, I, yeah, I still think he was... I think he was harshly, harshly judged. And I think, I know that the, obviously the, the new ownership wanted to kind of make a, a statement by changing the manager. But I think, I think Newcastle fans probably assumed that, that that change would be to bring in a more high profile coach. Yeah. Um, and actually, if you're looking at it, if you take the kind of emotional pull to make a change straight away out of it, I think the sensible thing to do would have been let Steve Bruce continue until the end of the season and then reassess where you are. Because, I mean, without... I'm not sure there's any manager, really, who could get a tune out of that squad based on what they've got in there, to be honest. Certainly nobody could have done anything between when Bruce was sacked and now, i.e. just before the transfer window, because they're still playing with the same tools and... You know, there's very, very limited amount they can do. With and let's that. be honest, if you're, I think we said before, I mean, Eddie Howe is obviously, you know, he's a good manager, he did, did pretty well with Bournemouth. But if you're looking at the calibre of player they want to bring in, there's not that much difference between Steve Bruce and Eddie Howe, really. Mm. I mean, obviously, Steve Bruce is the much more experienced manager. But if you're looking at, would you, you know, would you crawl over broken glass to go and play for Eddie Howe at Newcastle? I'm not convinced you would. Yeah, it doesn't doesn't sound like it, does it? No, it really doesn't. We're um, still doing the window, but I know we talked yeah. about this off A yesterday, which it'll be very interesting to see what sort of player they realistically target. Because, I mean, a truly world-class player is not going to go to them this January. No. no. I can't see it. Well, so then, no. You, <laughs> I mean, so then... If you're discount, I mean, as much as their fans will probably think we've got, you know, we're the richest club in the world, we can throw the money at it. But if you're a truly world-class player, I know we've said before almost it's the chicken and the egg, which is you're not going to go there unless they're challenging at the top, but they're not going to challenge at the top until they get players who can help them get there. But even if you take that argument out of it, they're not going to go there for a relegation battle. And it's not just a relegation battle. They are one of, as we've talked about, a very small handful of teams who are likely to go down. It's not like they're in the relegation conversation. They are the relegation conversation. So <laughs> you're not going to yeah. go there as world-class players. So you can discount that. So then you're left with, are you going to rely on getting higher profile loan players in? So the Jesse Lingards, the Delhi Alleys of this world. Mm-hmm. Are, they, are, they wanna, are they going to want to have a relegation on their CV? Are they going to be motivated to make a difference? So you, that's one option. Do you then go for, do you then try and raid other Premier League clubs for players who are more experienced and have that previous relegation scrap under their belt? If you are going to do that, it's going to cost an awful lot of money. Are clubs actually going to sell it? So, I mean, we've talked about, you'd look at Tarkovsky from Burnley. There's a few other players in the mould who you might go for, but are they going to be able to actually get them in January? And other Premier League clubs who are in danger of going down, as much as Newcastle might be throwing money at it, 
are they going to be throwing the the level of money you're likely to lose if you go down at it? And I don't think they are really. They'd probably throw purely making it up, but they'd probably throw 20, 30 million at Tarkovsky for a deal. Yeah. But is that going to stack up to the, you know, the hundreds of millions that you're going to lose if you go down? So I think they'd struggle to get players from other Premier League clubs to go there. That's notwithstanding the fact that many Premier League clubs have said they're not going to deal with them based mm. on their ownership anyway. So you've got those, those are your three options. And the fourth option, uh, which you referenced, are they going to be fishing in the same pool as us, is do you then go for top-end championship performers? And obviously the risk of that is twofold. One for the club is they might be very good in the championship, but they're not quite they're very much an Anthony Knockhart, Mitrovic style, very good in the championship, hit and miss in the mm. Premier League, and it backfires and you go down. Or from the player's point of view, you leave a club at the top end of the championship to go to one who then goes down and you miss out on being with your previous club and getting promoted to the Premier League. So all of those options aren't favourable for Newcastle, really. Unless I'm missing, a, you know, an obvious kind of group of players that I've not mentioned. But as I look at it, I can't see any of their, I can't see any of their potential options being immediately favourable. And you add on top the fact that the January window is one that lots of managers don't really like doing business with, either selling or buying. So it makes their job even harder, I think. And then obviously yeah. the one, the one group we haven't mentioned is do you look abroad? Which, again. again, we know is very hit and miss. We know this from yeah. our own experience. Yeah. You know, for the simulation every, time, you yeah, know, whether they settle. Pascal Gross, there's a Jürgen Lacadia, isn't there? So, you know, it's, it is a, it's a gamble. So they've got, they've got no surefire um, remedy for it. And the other final bit is you can, you can sign someone in, I mean, you'd, you'd imagine that they'll be trying to do most of their business fairly early on in the window but you've still then got to give a player two three weeks potentially to get up to speed by which yeah. time you're another three or four games down the road yeah. and as you said they've already fulfilled all their fixtures so far so they they're so already they've, about halfway through yeah. aren't they now so i think yeah. they're in deep trouble really and it's one of those yeah. situations where it doesn't actually really matter how much money you've got hmm. because the set of circumstances dictate that actually you're not you're not a particularly attractive option. Yeah. If anything, it's detrimental because yeah. it just might mean you spend you spend more money on those players that may not do the job. I mean, if if they stay up in the summer, mm. they become a very attractive option. For a oh lot yeah, hundred percent. Mm. But at this moment, no. Yeah. Well, on the subject of fishing in the same pool, that that subject. I mean, that notion. I mean, looking at um, the Albion, we do need a striker. We might be clashing with Newcastle over striker options. The advantage we have got, as you said, is uh, is is how deeply in the mire they are versus our situation. Particularly getting in the top half helps going into or being near the top half going into the um, the transfer window, um, depending on how things go in the next game or two. Um, but. We're looking at, uh, there's been a lot of rumours about um, Ben Brereton-Diaz, the fairly recently um, capped by Chile International. Now, he's a bit younger than I realised, because it feels like he's been around for ages. He's the, he he's was the 22, guy at Forest, wasn't he? 
Oh, yeah, I, he I was magic. He broke yeah. the forest as like a 17-year-old. Ah, right. Yeah, he's still only 22. I mean, he looks like yeah. he's got that slight chunkiness that some championship strikers have got. He's a bit unfashionable, but he is on absolute fire. And given his age and the fact that he's clearly playing with confidence, um, maybe he's not a bad option and he's been rumoured to be one of the people we might go for. I wouldn't half mind him, to be honest, given the form he's on. Um Given the situation we're in, maybe we'd, we'd out, we might do an Albion and sign him and loan him back to Blackburn. Of course, Blackburn wouldn't want to sell him, so that might be a condition for signing him. It might be worth going for that anyway. However, um, that's the kind of player that Newcastle might be looking for as well now. One of those kind of crossover, as you said, championship, who may or may not be able to make it in the Premier League players. Um, would you like to see him in? Would you, is there anyone else you'd yeah, see from the championship who's feasible? I think he'd be a good signing. I think we would have, there's obviously a very good relationship between ourselves and Blackburn, given the yeah. the recent loan. I mean, obviously, Christian Walton's been there in recent years. This season, there's Kadra and Van Hecker both there as well. So I'd imagine in any kind of negotiation, that would give us a potentially a bit of a, a bit of a foot up. The obvious is, as you say, they're not, they're on, they're having a very good season. And are they really going to want to lose someone in January who's scoring the lion's share of their goals. Um, but, as I said, the fact that we're not obviously in a relegation battle, if you're looking from the player's point of view and he's saying, well, I definitely want to be playing Premier League football next season, that's that's going to be the key element of it. Yeah. So am I best served staying, staying with Blackburn or going to a more established mm-hmm. Premier League club? Um, that's That's where I think we might have yeah. a bit of advantage and I think we've said it we've said it over the last few seasons particularly that we just needed to make that step it doesn't have, it's not a massive step but it's you're taking yourself one one move away from relegation and yeah. suddenly it opens up a different echelon of player for you because you're not they're not thinking I'm going to make the jump up and then potentially I could you know I could be going down as Blackburn are going up next season hmm. with us yeah, I mean, not, uh, well it's not as much of a risk this year. No, that's right. I'm not going to totally commit. <laughs> I'm not totally that's not to just it. a case. Um, yeah. But you know but, what I mean? It does. No, give that's us, a really good it point. Does give us as, as an example. You know, it's someone who, and actually, you look at it, you go, "Well, Blackburn are having a good season, but they're not running away with the division. Hmm. They're probably going to be in the playoff conversation. Yeah, I would. They might would be in the so. automatic conversation, but hmm. we know how we we know how much of a lottery the playoffs are. Yeah. And as you said, I mean, I was thinking, you mentioned about the preferences of, of, of choosing us over Newcastle if it was down to the player. But yeah, that's a good point about Blackburn wanting to keep it. But would he be so unhappy to, to stay and miss that opportunity to, to go to a club that is fair, you know, fairly established in the Premier League this season? And um, if you look, not, not, even if you could guarantee Blackburn were going up, it would still, I would say, from the player point of view, in terms of longevity in the Premier League, prefer to move to Brighton than Blackburn because the chasm between the Championship and the Premier League is such that even if yeah. they did go up, there's a very, very strong chance they come straight down again. The other thing is his international career as well, isn't it? Yeah. Which is, honestly, I know he's getting picked for Chile in the mm. Championship, but it's going to surely aid his longevity yeah. in the squad. Particularly if other people come on the scene. Yeah. Yeah. In Chile, yeah. Yeah, so it's an interesting option. I mean, we've mentioned others. I mean, there's, there's kind of workman-like strikers that could be fillers like Kiefer Moore that I've mentioned. There's there's Lewis Potter, who's, who never hasn't quite done enough yet, I don't think, to really 
be one of those the, the next um, Bowen or Ben Rama or whatever. You know, he's kind of a good. He's a good player. I'm impressed with him. And there's some other exciting prospects coming through elsewhere, up and down the divisions. But um, I think he would probably be the preference. I think. Ben I think Rara he fits the mold of our recent signings, which is he's the right age. He's early twenties. Yeah. He's been performing at the top end of the championship. Yeah. He would count. And he probably as... fills that role of the centre forward. We keep getting yeah. players that are around there, but not really. Number nine. He's going to be in the kind of 20, 25 million pound bracket. So there's the potential for a, a profit if he goes on to become, you know, prolific. He yeah. would still count, I'd imagine, as homegrown. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Passport. Yeah. So absolutely. He ticks all. He t- if you look at the kind of Mope Webster, you know, recent signings that we've made, they're very much mm-hmm. along the same, same kind of lines, aren't they? So. Yeah. Um, the other question, of course, is Mitomo. Um, he's been firing still. I think last count I checked, um, USG are now seven points clear. He scored again, I think, in a game that ended three two at the weekend. I think it was, uh, or last last time anyway. Um, you know, he's doing really well. They're doing really well. The paradox, of course, there is that um, he's doing so well that they don't really. I wouldn't have thought want to lose him halfway through the season, a bit like the Ben Brereton-Diaz scenario, um, the complication of, well, the intrigue, of course, being that it's the same ownership or wealth thereabouts. Um, so would he want to to cut off one avenue to feed another one? Um, I think, was it you? Somebody made a joke about, are we going to end up being um, their feeder club? It could oh, yeah, be the other way it's, um, yeah, it's an intriguing one. I mean, he's doing I mean, well, he's more of a wider attacker, isn't know, he? Is he? I mean, I said they, they, there's been talk about us exploring it, and I think it's not a guarantee that he'd get a work permit. So no. I think it's more in that kind of Alexis McAllister. Mm-hmm. See, the rules have sli- have shifted slightly since Brexit, which has mm-hmm. made certain things possible that wouldn't be before. But I don't think it's a... I think he was recently called up. I think he recently had his first Japanese call up in either one of the summer or the autumn windows. But I don't think necessarily he will have, he'll be nailed on for a work permit. Um, but I might be wrong on that. But I think it's one of those ones where we're probably looking at it. We'd be unwise if we were just ignoring it. So it's probably yeah. more we're taking a it look just, at it. It feels like there's too many components that aren't quite right. The work permit's borderline. The fact it's USG and they're doing so well and they've, historically a great club but in recent times have, have not even been top flight until very recently for them to win that first title would be a really big thing i think for the owners as well even though they're not born and bred yeah, belgians or usc fans they'll, they'll, they'll be absolutely driven for, for that to happen won't they and i think that goes against it and, and also the fact that he's a wider attacker that's not exactly the position we need to cover as such um no. or not as much anyway um all of that lends itself to thinking well maybe not yet and obviously he's doing it in Belgium can he do it here probably a greater measure is a player who can score as many goals as Brereton Dias has done in one season in the championship making the step up to the prem might be a better measure or a lesser risk um in the short term perhaps you could say yeah well what about other the transfer window just one other word on the transfer window anybody else you'd like to see a sign in this window either kind of positionally or, or specifically for an individual um, I do. Like, think... What about midfield with the African Cup of Nations? For example? Yeah, obviously, Basuma's going. Alzate's back. Um, yes, yeah. a bit of a benefit. The only um, 
Yeah, I think central midfield, because actually if you look at wing backs, we've now got a decent amount of cover. Solly March can 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 cover across both wing backs. Midfield's an interesting one because you've got Modder that can we're quite fluid in mid central midfield because at the one end you've got Modder who can who can fill in. You've also got McAllister, Mwepu, you know, the slightly more attacking minded players who can also slot in there. There's yeah. a question about could Caicedo come back if we needed another could we recall mm. him? I don't know. Is he one mm. that you could recall if we needed somebody else? I don't know. Um, I mean, central defence is always, there's always a question mark over there because see, Dunk is out for certainly until the kind of mid to late Jan. Mm. Duffy, is he unwell? Is he injured? He's obviously, mm. as much as he's come in and done a good job this year, he's still, you get the impression that he's still not someone who Potter would probably naturally gravitate towards yeah. picking on a regular basis. Yeah. Webster's um, obviously great, but he's, he's dropped out a couple of times on different occasions for injuries, maybe related to each other, but, Veltman's you know, Veltman, yeah. Mm. Um, so then, and Byrne is, he's one of those players where he's not, he's not really naturally yeah. a centre-back, but he's not really naturally a left-back either. So he's mm. another one we think. So probably, if, if anything, I'd like to see us, potentially get someone in to cover to cover centre back. I mean the interesting one, I mean Nat Phillips at Liverpool is a, is a, a, apparently available for 15 yeah. million. Yeah. And Not he's, bad. Yeah, again, homegrown, bit of experience playing in, you know, top end of the Premier League, Champions League, etc. So he's a player who could come in and be a, a kind of mid to long term solution he wouldn't necessarily be a stopgap in there hmm. uh, obviously you know he plays he's comfortable on the ball he's you know he would come from a Liverpool system that is I'm not going to say you know directly comparable with ours but is along the same kind of lines in terms of needing players hmm. to be comfortable on the ball and positionally very aware and quick to respond close down danger etc so he's one who has said he wants first, he wants more first team football and is available at a reasonable fee. So he would be one that I wouldn't be too unhappy if we were to get in. Yeah, he's, he's a good option. Of course, we've got youngsters coming through as well, such as Roberts and, and obviously Ostergaard. We're still wondering what's going to happen with him. And Van Hecker at Blackburn. I don't know if we've got a recall clause, but um, you know whether, whether we want to do that as well, particularly if it might upset a possible deal for a striker. Um, but there's all sorts of connotations there. One thing I do think, you mentioned McAllister, I do think having... Um, McAllister, who's able to fill the number 10 role as well as he did on uh, the weekend there, is, is definitely a bonus. I've always rated him. I think he's he hasn't had a very consistent run in the team. I don't think he's helped himself on some occasions where he's just had off days and when he has had opportunities to play. But he looked really good in that game. And I, yeah. I think he's definitely better in that position, isn't he, than, than deeper. Although, as you said, he can, he can fill in if necessary. Um, but maybe that would also help us in terms of our attacking lines, because if we... If we've got an option of Trossard or McAllister to play that role, safe in the knowledge that Trossard can play with more pay quite often because we've got backup for more pay, then that opens up options yeah, a lot more. Whether, yeah. But I don't think whether we that need be a, well back on. I mean, I don't think we need I don't think we need a huge amount, really. Obviously no, no. Like, uh, and yeah, I mean I think if we were to only get in a centre forward, I say only. Mm. Like we haven't been looking for this for, you know, <laughs> five or six years. We'll just pop to the shops and get one. Yeah, just come back with a 
with a with an <laughs> oven ready Premier League centre forward. Um, in the Boxing Day sales, yeah. Yeah, but I think we don't need a huge amount. I think is the no, that's right. The bottom line. Yeah, agreed. And yeah, I think that, that kind of sums it up really on that on that score. Um, if anyone's got any suggestions for who they think we should sign, you can always contact the show. Um, on that note, Twitter. I was going to say, this is a slight Sorry, tangent, go on, yeah. but I did see um, the story on I can't remember, some of the websites where they were, they were looking back to um, fans, just when you're noticing, saying fans send in suggestions. There was an article about previous instances where fans have basically scouted players for clubs and sent in suggestions of, I'm on holiday, I've just seen... XYZ play, yeah. um, you should go and sign him type thing. And there was one that I wasn't aware of, which is um, a Middlesbrough fan was on holiday in the north of France and went to see Kante play for Caen. Yeah. And he tweeted Middlesbrough to say, I've just seen this phenomenal player playing for Caen. And in, in, I think they're in Liga, probably at that point. Um, go and check him out and I think the club sent back a kind of oh yeah we'll pass it on scenario and then obviously never followed it up well it's funny you should mention that because I emailed the Albion about the very same player having seen him on just on tv in a couple of games and he stood out both matches um I thought this this guy looks good I'm sure the Albion know about him but no harm in sending an email and I sent it to uh the club i got a reply I think from Darren Rack I'm not sure he's with the club anymore but he was something to do with the recruitment side at the time and he he sent a message back saying um we always welcome suggestions from people so thanks for that as long as you're not an agent <laughs> touting for a you know a, a, an extra, or, or some some yeah. sort of thing some some comment like that which is fine uh, and he did say he's aware of I, I mentioned i think three or four players on the email actually i can't remember who the others were now but um but he was the standout one and um he did say we're aware of them all so um that's probably true but the fact that you think ah oh, what price could you have got him from Khan? And of course, he went to Leicester, didn't he? Shortly after, after that, yeah. oh, it's gutted. Anyway, <laughs> Especially when that he was quite shone. interesting. Yeah, yeah. Also, the... yeah. I was going to say. Also, speaking of Middlesbrough, I mean, there's been rumours speaking of Albion strikers as well of Aaron Connolly being linked with them. This is largely on the basis of the fact that he started following the Middlesbrough account, which might just be because he's got a mate. He plays for Middlesbrough, I don't know. Um, he wanted to find out a bit more, but it, it could very well be that we um, we might see him go on loan there. It's a feasible option. It would be a good option for all parties, I think, because he's got the capability to, if he can get a consistent run of being a good striker, certainly at that level, um, for Borough. It would give him more game time, hopefully, if he did go out than he's getting at the moment. Um, and it would be good for us because, quite frankly, he's not in use at the moment, is he, to put it bluntly, um, no. apart from in a peripheral role. And especially if we do sign someone in January, um, there's obviously other options. Maybe even, you know, we could loan um, Blackburn Connolly if we signed Brereton Diaz might be another option. But um, I don't know what you've made of, of Connolly in, in, in general and of the rumours surrounding him at the moment. I think he needs to go and play some football yeah. week in, week out. Because actually, if you look at his senior career, he's not done that so far. So that's, he needs to go and do that. It's not going to be in the Premier League for a number of reasons. Yeah. Um, so I think he needs to go and play for a club towards the top end of the championship to go and actually see if he can is capable of performing week in, week out. So a club like Middlesbrough would be a good 
a good shout. They're obviously they're in there, there or thereabouts in the playoffs. Chris Wilder, I think, is the kind of manager who he needs or would need yeah. scenario. He's obviously not going to take any any nonsense, I would imagine. Um, and obviously, we've seen we don't know. You know, we don't know Aaron Connolly. We don't know the full ins and outs, but there've been obviously a lot of stories about him off the pitch and his performance, his attitude, some of the decisions that he's made. Um, so potentially, he needs a manager. Um, you know, who in a loan spell would keep him kind of on the straight and narrow path. Um, in terms of his performances for the Albion. I think it was quite telling that he has slipped or had slipped behind Lacadia in fairly recent weeks. Um, there's obviously a very good player in there somewhere, but it's not allied to an attitude or a work ethic that certainly from the point of view of us looking in, you know, as fans, all we can see is how he looks when he comes onto the field and how he performs. He might be incredible in training. We might be doing him a disservice, but all we can judge on is what we see. And in my view, he is not up to the standards that we require. Yeah. There's too big a risk to, to giving him a consistent run when he's not hitting the ground running, isn't it? That's the problem yeah. with the Premier League. Even in our slightly more loftier position this season, you still yeah, don't, don't want to run the risk. And I think, yeah. I mean, I know we've, we've talked about this sort of, off air, but almost the way he burst onto the scene in that Spurs game, yeah, actually bizarrely was almost one of the worst things that could have happened for him, yeah, because it was almost like he'd suddenly made it. I know there's been a lot of hype about him anyway, because you know coming through the clubs, youth teams, and under twenty threes, etc., he'd been very prolific, and he was even in the kind of the Chris Hutton days of people not really being promoted you know, from the reserves or from the youth ages, he was one of the ones who they thought if it was going to happen, he's the natural person to come through. So it was almost like everyone was expecting him to get his chance at some point. But the fact that he came in in a game against, you know, a a top four, top six club um, and, you know, scored. I mean, one goal was, his first one was a bit scruffy. His second one was a very good goal. But it was almost like suddenly then, you know, his career, you know, the trajectory has been all the way through. It was almost like he hadn't had a, you know, a blip. Um, and then obviously, I think he got he got called up to the senior Ireland squad fairly quickly after that. So it was almost like it mm. gave him... And again, we don't know him, so we might be being unfair. But again, from the outside, the impression that it gives is that it's someone who believes they've made it almost mm. straight yeah. away. Yeah, I agree with you both in terms of that's the impression that's given and also that we can't be sure. If, you, if you're listening, which is very unlikely, and you want to come on, feel free, Aaron, and, and argue your case. But um, no, I, yeah, I think it was too too much too soon. I think the, the point about Ireland, actually, which we didn't mention off air before, but um, I think also really didn't help at that stage, much as they're both positives in their own right. Yeah, it's too much too soon, I think. And maybe that depends on the character as to whether that's too much too soon. You could say you could liken him in some ways, demeanour-wise, for example, to Wayne Rooney, who came on the scene also at an early stage. 
and scored on his debut for Everton as a 16-year-old and it kept scoring. So it can it can go either way, can't it, in that regard. And he got a move very quickly to Man U as well. So there was, a uh, again, there's a, a, a something happening very early on which could have been too much in the way so that think, um, Zaha flopped, of the, course, at Man United. <laughs> anyway. his development anyway, as we say, he hmm. needs to be playing Oh, yeah. that, that's for sure. That's yeah. no, that's Aside, the any of these, biggest issue, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, any of these other circumstances or kind of opinions aside, he needs to be playing week in, week out. Yeah, he's not learning enough senior football at the moment. No. Uh, particularly exactly. given how soon he broke in. So, initially. yeah, he needs to go out and I wouldn't want us to get rid of him permanently at this stage. Um, I'd like him to go in an ideal world he goes to a club I mean you've it's an interesting suggestion I hadn't thought about it but yeah Blackburn could you know that would be hmm. that could be a sweetener in the deal um, but you know to go to a Blackburn go to Middlesbrough or any of these other clubs who are going to be in and around the playoff conversation so he's going to go to somewhere where there's going to be pressure there's going to be expectation you know as a full international as a player who has scored goals in the Premier League, albeit, you know, not very many, but he still has. Um, he needs to go somewhere where he's going to be challenged. He's, there's going to be expectation and there's going to be regular football Saturday, Tuesday. And we need to see what he's made of. Because yeah. he's, not, he's not been challenged, you know, to that degree. Yeah, and he's he's under. I think it's something like three years left on his deal, isn't there, at the moment? Yeah. Something like so. that. So, you know, we're talking in terms of investment, for the future in terms of with him it, yeah if he goes on loan and does at least reasonably well to the degree that he maybe gets another year on loan next season then he still has value to us in terms of we can maybe get a decent fee for him it doesn't have to be anything ridiculous but just something that makes it worth yeah. our while and you know that then or or even that he, he comes back and ends up being able to make his make yeah i mean if he goes us. on loan somewhere and scores you know 10 goals in the second half of the season and you know, develop yeah. physically and, you know, sort of get, gets used to the, the sort of the, the week in, week out grind of it. Yeah. I think it's, I mean, I don't think that we've got nothing, providing we've got adequate cover here. Yeah. Um, I don't see a downside to letting him go out. One one final line on the ins and outs. We should, of course, mention Andoni. <laughs> Speaking of another guy that can't seem to get to regular games. Uh, again, he's gone on loan. Again, he's not really got much time with Cadiz, and they're apparently sending him back. We think, uh, or at least that's the that seems to be the, the vibe. There's a financial element to it as well. I think. Yeah, yeah. Like, well, in terms of numbers of games played, and that's all. Well, I think in terms of yeah. like even wage, you know, the we know that the league are quite stringent in their yeah yeah kind of finance. so i think there's a kind of financial element to it as well hmm. so there's that as well yeah i mean I, I can't see him figuring for us and um, to be honest with you i think that's that's that ship has sailed doesn't it really no, there's but been rumors worth... to go back to deportivo yeah that's right yeah which might be a better he didn't fit. play he didn't play at all for us did he so he's not he wouldn't be he wouldn't be scuffed by the three no Three clubs by well, by the more than two clubs. Yeah, in that's right. I don't don't think he did. Which incidentally, uh, somebody I meant to mention earlier, Simmer. For people that are thinking of him, he's actually played for two clubs this season. So yes, he, he, even if we could uh, recall him, we, we can't no. play him. In, yeah. in case people are wondering about him, he's on loan at Stoke, of course, at the moment. Um, yeah. So I mean, that's that on the. I think that's the final note on the Albion line um, in terms of matters to do with players. But in terms of off the pitch, 
a very quick word on the ticketing. We we've, we argued it to death in the last episode, so I won't labour the point, but didn't get your opinion on it, um, Robin, obviously, because you weren't on that episode. So, I mean, just to quickly say, we are Brighton and and Paul Barber, there was a to-do <laughs> played out in the media. Um, we, we've we've said our words on that. But in terms of what's happened since, um, I get the programme posted to me, whether I'm at the Games or not. And being Christmas, I haven't got the brent for the programme yet. But I understand from other sources that... Um, in that program, there is some implication that there's going to be a review or a revision of the system. So we should say that the club therefore do seem to be addressing this issue, regardless of what they'll say or not say publicly about whether it's working or not, or to what degree it's been an effect on attendances. Um, I think Paul Barber said, or the club have said in the last day or two, that it wasn't the biggest factor in determining a much lower attendance on Boxing Day. And that may actually be true, but um, who, who knows? Um, it's all speculative. However, if they're addressing the issue, fair play. A quick word from you, though. What, what's your opinions on it in general? Yeah, I think, in fairness to Paul Barber, I think, yeah, I don't think it will have had a... I don't think it's had an, an enormous impact on attendance. I mean, I think hmm. COVID, by and large, if we look at the season as a whole, yeah. COVID is going to be the thing, naturally, that's yeah. keeping some people away, whether they're nervous about catching COVID themselves or passing it on to loved ones or indeed they can't go because they've got COVID or they're isolating or you know all, all those kind of COVID reasons I think that's the standout reason for people not coming allied to that you've got the odd scheduling clash boxing day being the you know being the the obvious example of that so I think Paul Barber's absolutely fair when he says that this scheme probably isn't having the biggest impact in terms of attendance. That's absolutely fair. The point that I think he's missing, or he's probably not missing it, but he's he's not acknowledging it. It's actually the the goodwill element, the kind of PR fan engagement angle of this, which I think is what the club are have not quite got their messaging right when it comes to it. If you look traditionally, if you look at the people who are going to be using this system or you look at the people who are most upset about it, by and large, it's long standing, long term season ticket holders who have the intention at the beginning of the season to say, I'm going to go to most, if not all home games. Yeah. And if there's Which is the my odd... category. Yeah. As well. And yeah. I think that's, you know, that's the people because there's going to be lots of other people who have probably made the decision you know if i can't go that many games i'm just not going to renew you know if your if your work circumstances have changed or you've moved or whatever it is your financial circumstances have changed you're just going to give up your ticket so you're looking generally you're looking at people who are intending to go to most if not all games yeah. so and a lot of those people are long-standing with dean Goldstone, Gilling, you know, they are long-standing fans who we probably know personally, we know a lot of people in that category. Yeah. So you're it's just this idea that, you know, and it's it's a it's this kind of intangible thing, which is that a lot of people have probably been introduced to the Albion through tickets being passed on to them for odd games here and there, be it at with Dean, be it at Priestfield probably not so many at Priestfield, to be honest, but, you know, with Dean Goldstone at the Amex, it's almost like, from a club's point of view, it's almost like the fans are doing some of their marketing for them. 
with yes. this off game. You're passing it on to someone who loves it and decides they want to get a ticket and they're going to bring their kids and, you know, whatever it is. So, one, you're missing this opportunity to let someone effectively try this out, probably free, because if you're a season ticket holder, certainly I do, you know, if I'm in the past, if I've not been able to go and I've passed my ticket on, I've never taken a pound, you know, I've never taken any money from anyone. It's more just... And, you, want and you've given it to someone reliable as well. Yeah, exactly. You know, it, it's it's about being responsible, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. but you, you're... In my mind, I don't want to make money from it. I just want the seat to be used by someone I know and someone I know would enjoy the game. So, again, you've probably got a lot... There'll be lots of fans in the same boat who are like, if I can't go, I know that there's, you know, a friend or an uncle or whatever it is who, you know, would would like to go. It's probably a kind of is an Albion fan, but for whatever reason, hasn't been able to go or doesn't have a season ticket. So, you know, you're doing this kind of marketing where you're giving people essentially a free trial hmm. to go and say, do you, you know, is this something you want to pursue? That's the yeah. first bit that the club are missing out on. And it's just the fact that you're, and, you know, the clubs just want, the club would probably be, oh, you know, if you want people to go, then, you know, they can go and buy their own tickets, et cetera, et cetera. But we know that, on a practical level, people aren't going to do that. Because I know you can say, fine, if you're a season ticket holder and you want to bring somebody else, the club will move you for that game and they'll find a free seat and you can sit next door to the person that you want to bring. Fine. But we know that it, it's, it's more complicated than that because people go because they want to speak to the people in the seats around them. Yeah. So it's not like, you, you know, if you take yourself out of that environment, obviously you can bring that person with you go and sit in a different part of the stadium. But that diminishes their overall match experience. Yes, that's part of the sale, isn't it? You're missing. So, look, look at these, this camaraderie, look yeah, at the interaction I have as a season yeah, ticket holder. Point, you're saying, yeah. you're thinking, if I, it's almost like, if, you know, if you're in a group where, like, you know, we're in a few different groups around, you know, in different parts of the ground, you know, if one person can't go, are you going to go, well, we could find someone else to come to the seat, but one of us is then going to have to go and sit with them somewhere else. You're more likely to go fine. We'll just leave the seat empty for this game. Yeah, and the other issues are obviously it brings in match income, um, which wouldn't be happening if if the seat just left is left dormant because the ticket exchange system is great if it's a genuine sellout and it's absolutely roaring with demands. Yeah. But in most cases, even if you try and sell it on ticket exchange, you, there's a good chance you well, won't get it. Well, this year with COVID, I mean, for, yeah, for those, yeah, yeah, but, that's it. Yeah. But certainly, you, you know, a lot of seats will go dormant and therefore no, no match income will come from those seats on those occasions when people can't make it. And on top of all that, you've, you've obviously got the extra bit of atmosphere potentially created as well. And, and also the visuals and the general psychological elements of having more fans in the ground, which could create a buzz as well, I suppose, which is a, yeah, is a smaller point, but it's not necessarily it's just, a, a... It's just one. a goodwill element of really kind of... Yeah. trusting the fan trusting the fan base to kind of grow itself organically by choosing the yeah. right sort of people that might enjoy coming to the game and bringing yeah. them in on a i know it comes this i understand that you know there's the covid protocols this year and it's you know you've got to have vaccine passports etc yeah. etc but still notwithstanding that there are way you know the person yeah. you're passing the ticket on to if as long as they've got their covid passport and they can show you know, they're yeah. vaccinated or whatever. Yeah, I don't obviously, we, we, we appreciate you would have to, you'd have to be trustworthy in terms of giving it to someone reliable. 
but you can have accountability for that if that's not the case because yeah. you can you can transfer the identity for that match day to as you said to someone else and have them prove their covid um, yeah, eligibility as well. as well yeah yeah so all of that is accountable and yes that might involve a little bit of an admin fee and i can understand why they want to charge something um so that's fair enough but i think 25 plus 20 for for one transaction you know it just it, it will put off some people that's 100 percent guaranteed how well, many think, is the question but, yeah i mean how many is the question and i think i say i i, I just think that the amount of money that they'll make from the hmm. scheme and from the associated admin costs versus the kind of the damage to goodwill, particularly yeah. amongst, you know, the the kind of the longer standing fan. It just seems quite short sighted. It seems like a very short sighted commercial decision yeah. Um, yeah. versus. Which seems uncharacteristic of us as well. In yeah, that it sense, does. Um, and I think it's if... very I mean, I think I know you've touched on the, you know, the Paul Barber, We Are Brighton thing. So I don't want to get into it in too much detail, but I. I found that really quite bizarre from Paul mm. Barber, to be honest. Um, certainly the level of kind of almost vitriol, really. Yeah, I mean, it's almost, in a strange sort of way, it's almost as if it went hand in hand with the Graham Potter scenario with the booing, isn't it? It kind of yeah. like, it, it seemed to be some sort of like marginal breaking point for Graham in terms of, you know, it just, it just hit a nerve. But, and it's almost nah, as if this but, has done yeah. the same report. No, Barber. you're exactly right. Yeah. I know, I know that. I think, and I think Scott from We Are Brighton would probably agree with me. Um, I think that if it had been somebody else or a different media outlet that had written that piece, I don't think the response from Paul Barber would have been exactly the same. Yeah, because we're talking in I terms think, of the clickbait comment. Yeah, and, and I think, no. and I think in general, I think the tone of it probably would have been different because I know that We Are. Brighton, would you say condescending is the word? Was yes, that a bit too, quite condescending oh, and yeah. quite kind of I know better than you kind of hmm. attitude. And I know that, how that's you know, kind of cross, yeah. Yeah, you know, we are Brighton and, and and the club have had they've got history, you know, when it comes to um, yeah. you know, when it comes to certain topics. And partly in We Are Brighton's defense, partly it's because they're one of the few purveyors of Albion related content who are happy to write uncomfortable articles and mm. ask uncomfortable questions. So yes. naturally, they are doing the sort of job that you would expect people like Andy Naylor to be doing. Yeah. And the point that Scott from We Are Brighton have, has made is that if you look back to the Bellotti and Archer era, it's if you didn't have fanzines and the local paper asking the kind of questions that we are Brighton are asking now, albeit on a smaller scale and about issues which are, you know, not along the same lines in terms of gravity, we know what can happen when questions are shut down by the club. I'm not saying because it's a different regime now. It's a wholly different way the club is run. But the overarching point is that if the club try and stifle debate about any issue, particularly an off-field issue, we know that that can be something quite damaging. Mm, yeah. But I think it's, it's odd. Yeah. I'm sorry, I think it's odd given 
that the club are very keen to remind everyone how aware they are of the recent history and the fan involvement in saving the club, etc., etc., etc. It seems quite odd that they're almost trying to shut down the debate. Yeah. I know it's not an issue related to you know anything as severe as that, but it's it's the point that that almost a legitimate media outlet, which actually we are Brighton are, given the the number of followers they have, they've been right, you know, they've been in existence for the last 10 plus years. I mean, they were certainly in existence when we were in League One. Um, You know, so they've been around for 10 plus years and actually they are a legitimate outlet. So to, to almost try and shut down what was quite a legitimate albeit uncomfortable topic for the club is a bit, I'm not saying it's a dangerous precedent, but it's something which I had hoped the club had moved away yeah. from doing. Yeah, I mean, it's a valid point because things can be going as well as you want, but you, you can't rely on them always to be going well and you need to have that sense of democratic process as supporters should things not be going right in terms of expressing views, etc. Not having, for example one of those guys getting banned for saying too much, that sort of thing, which happened at Oldham, albeit they've actually retracted those bans now at Oldham. But anyway, but you don't want that kind of situation. Because who knows what the future holds, maybe long-term future holds. Um, it's true. To be fair, you know, Paul Barber, from what we said about this article in the programme, it sounds as if they are addressing the issue. And I wonder if actually they were already looking to address the issue before that article was written and perhaps if that was the case that might have led to why they were why Paul seemed to be so spiky about it maybe maybe just say in your letter just say you know we're looking at it Mm. but that's not we know that's not his style in terms of length of reply but I just think the tone was I think the tone was off and to be fair to him over the time that he's been at the club and I think I've been pretty complimentary about him in general on most of the ones that I've been on where we've talked about him. He's got most things right. And he's mm. always, most of the time, he's got the tone right and all of that. I just think this is, and perhaps that's why for me this sticks out, is that this is such an uncharacteristic, yeah. from my point of view, such an uncharacteristic response. Yeah. Perhaps that's why it sticks out in terms of being yeah. a bit odd. Aside from certain semantics, for example, customers, um, uh, which he, which he's addressed and he's kind of he's he's gone away from, and certain things, yeah, which are slightly more amusing elements like the bottle tops debate yeah. and things like that. Aside from that, he's been pretty good on all matters, um, there or thereabouts. There might have been individual scenarios where there's something happened which may, may have caused some issues, but um, but generally he's been pretty good on this one. It's a bit odd. Um, interestingly, just one other point on this. Um, um, you may or may not know, but um, being a member of Seagulls over London, well, on the committee, actually, for them, um, we've been dealing with the club in terms of signing up to a supporters clubs scheme, all under one umbrella in one sense, which is to have everybody kind of unified in certain respects in relation to our dealings with the club, which don't particularly have a problem with at all. Um, but I know one club, I think it's the supporters club, which is not technically called the official supporters club. I think it's just called the Albion supporters club or something. I think they've expressed some sort of reservations about wanting to just buy into that completely and not have a sense of independence of, you know, yeah, ent- entity. And, and we, I think we feel the same yeah. as well, generally speaking. It depends on what the relationship is. Yeah, In exactly. our case, it's, it's about getting guests. And... Well, I think 
if it was if there's any kind of and obviously you know i'm i'm talking totally hypothetically here but if there's any kind of move towards you can't say this or ask that otherwise you'll have your you know yeah that's restricted type thing then i think that would be quite a that's where it would be an issue yeah yeah that would be a bit of an issue but i think it's more likely to be like you say we if you're associated to the, to the club in a semi-official way, which all your, your all the sports clubs are, then obviously you need to be, you know, you need to behave in a certain way. You need to represent because you're effectively of course, almost yeah. an arm of mm. the club. So you need to be, yeah. you know, the way that you even present yourself online, the language you use, etc. I think yeah. I would hope it's more towards just yeah. giving it. A I bit think of so. Identity, I, I think it's about it's about nipping potential problems in the bud. I think that's what the club are very keen to do. Where it comes to, we were praised by Sanjay, who we had on from kicking out the other week. And, uh, you know, he was saying we're one of the best clubs out there for nipping in the bud issues where um, where problems have occurred and people have been banned quickly and things have been clamped down on. And that's been commendable. It can be good in terms of more dissenting or, dis- uh, well, dissenting in a bad way. I mean, you know, just sort of like... Um, disproportionate yeah, so- bad mouthing or just people that are troublemakers at the club um in general uh i mean supporters uh, of the yeah. club i should say that sort of thing that's fine and in terms of g- getting the balance right not allowing things to to get distorted in terms of how the relationship should be for example between the club and supporters club getting that balance right trying to get on top of that fine fine with all of that um but it's about getting the right balance and i think um hopefully all in all uh we we do that but anyway we better move on to our final t- subject yeah. uh been interesting but we've got to get on to the upcoming match against chelsea 29th subject to any late covid covid postponements hopefully we're done with that for the moment um we've got chelsea away stanford bridge nice easy game <laughs> we've we've never won there um in terms of let me just check that is home game yeah um in terms of um stanford bridge we've never won there we haven't played them that often, actually. We've only had 16 competitive first-team matches against them. And the record reads, we've won one game, drawn three, and lost 12. That one victory was our very first competitive game against them on the 14th of January, 1933. So a little bit of a long wait we've had so far for our next win. That was a game in the FA Cup, by the way, and we won it 2-1. We then drew the next game, actually, uh, in 1967, um, and then lost the return game at Stamford Bridge. And we have not had anything other than a couple of recent draws, which has, yeah, the, has been our improvement. The Johan match overhead kick, wasn't Jahan it? Johan match, the one-all game, which was, of course, the during the lockdown. Uh, sorry, uh, yeah, during the lockdown, wasn't it? I think. Mm. Oh, no, before the lockdown. It was in yeah. that season, but it was in, yeah. in the January. It was like, it was then, a, yeah, it was an early year. Yeah. Kind of similar time of year, wasn't it? And then, of course, we drew with them um, at Stamford Bridge, um, on the 20th of this year, which is our most recent game against them. Unless, of course, we're counting the European uh, champion winning game where we beat the then European champions in that friendly oh, yeah. annex. <laughs> what was the score? What was the score the last time we went there? Nil-nil, uh, apparently. Which I, I, just I don't, don't remember this game at all. I don't remember that's, that at all either. <laughs> that's why I said nil-nil. I've got no... I've got absolutely no recollections about that game whatsoever. We'd, we'd, we'd lost the home game three one prior to that yeah. in September, but so yeah, so uh, so essentially one one win ever, and that was in nineteen thirty three. So nothing. Here we go. <laughs> yeah, I've I've been there. 
I, I went in the back in the 80s once before they did any of the current development and it was some something else that ground very different to how it is now now it's a very cramped claustrophobic ground that claims to be 40 something thousand but it's in reality i think it's less than that if we're being honest um one if you go in the lower tiers dreadful views you know you stand up and can't see the pitch sit down and you can't see anything because someone's standing up in front of you um crazy in some of those low areas been on the upper tier more recently i don't know where we are for this one actually because someone else got a ticket for me but um, um i'm hoping we're going to pull off a result here could we get a second successive draw i think maybe maybe we could I, I think the win is a long shot and i think the likely result is still going to be a defeat yeah they've been a bit hit and miss haven't they lately yeah they've, yeah i mean I'm, they've had I'm, I'm with you i think they yeah. did obviously they won at villa didn't they the other day and lukaku came on and made a difference and yeah i think it'll be a tough against um i'm with yeah. you i think the draw isn't beyond uh, isn't beyond the bounds of possibility i think a win is is unlikely i know that just reading chill i was out for the season for them so mm, then yeah it's a big blow yeah free scoring chill well <laughs> yeah. yeah so i think it's difficult because obviously they're you know tuchel's been one of the ones who's been quite vocal about you know having to play you know yeah. so many games and particularly with you know covid postponements etc so they have see they've had their fair share of injuries and covid cases so i think it's it's very difficult to predict any games between anyone at the moment because like you say up until the up until a couple of hours before you're not even sure if the game's going to be on you're not going to be sure who's available how much time have they had to train together etc etc so i think it's as a general rule at the moment, I'm finding it very difficult to predict anything. So, yeah. don't know. Lukaku's had an interesting impact. I'm pretty strong in some places, not in others. Um, there's certain other players like Havertz have seemed to not quite get to the top levels. Chilwell has been great and has scored a few goals, but he's out, as you said now. Um, Mount is obviously is always a big threat. Uh, that's one for sure. I noticed people like Barkley have been getting in the team recently. That's partly due to numbers, I'd imagine. Um, they've got I know, a pretty solid outfit. Tuchel's a pretty good manager. They're very well organised. And obviously, they're very hard to beat at home. Um, not just for us, for anyone. Um, but, you know, I think Burnley, was it got a draw there quite recently? Um, yes. So it's, it's feasible. If they could do it, we could do it. I mean, um, I don't see it being a particularly high-scoring game. QR's now losing 5 now or something. But I think it would be... Um, yeah, I, I, I don't think a draw is beyond no bounds of possibility. I, I fancy a potential draw in the emotional stakes, but I, I'm going to say 2-1 Chelsea is my prediction, but I, I, I think there's a very good chance I might get that wrong in a good way. Um, let's hope so. I mean, we've, we're, we're bubbling with confidence. We've got yeah. one way to I mean, like say, uh, going into it off the back of a win, I think it makes a big difference because it's, it now becomes... I mean, it was going to be a free, it's a free hit game anyway, but coming mm. in off the back of a win... And various other results going for us in, you know, for some of the other teams down towards the bottom, it becomes even more of a free hit, I think. So, yeah. So fingers crossed we can get something from the game. I'll be at that match. I'm looking forward to it. I've had a couple of, I've had a cold over Christmas, which I was worried all the way through was going to be what so many people I know have had, which is positive uh, tests. Luckily, I haven't had so far. So all being well, I'll be at the game tomorrow, tomorrow night, and which I'm looking forward to greatly with a good bunch of friends. Um, to those I know that were going to come and couldn't because of positive tests, um, I sympathise with you guys. My heart goes out to you. Hope you're able to enjoy a win, at least uh, on the TV at is on TV, I think, isn't it? Isn't that on Prime? Yeah, it is on yeah. Prime. Got this yeah. whole round. 
Yeah, and it's a seven thirty kickoff, I think, isn't it? An earlier one, um, uh, which yes. means, I, and, and curiously, both. Um, this is pretty unusual, but Brentford, um, which is a fairly close by neighbouring club, have got their game kicking off exactly forty five minutes later at eight fifteen. Presumably, this is something to do with TV as well, um, which is interesting. Two fairly local games, home games, they on the same night. Is it unusual for them to be at both at home on the same day? I'm not sure, probably, maybe. Certainly, I would think in this, since they've been in the top two divisions, I would imagine policing levels might have to be bigger or whatever. I'm not sure, but then I can't see any trouble anywhere. But no. it just seems seems unusual to have that. But uh, we can catch the whole of the second half of a match if we come out come out oh, with yeah. game <laughs> feasibly. Yeah, but um, if you had a ticket, you could even get out of time to see the end of the match. <laughs> which I won't, will not be doing, of course. But anyway, on that matter, uh, Robin, I think that covers it. Um, your prediction for the game, are you going to throw in an actual score prediction, do you think? Yeah, I'm going to go, agree with you. I think it will probably be 2-0 or 2-1 Chelsea, but I'm not yeah. ruling out a 1-1 or indeed another 0-0. Yeah, okay, Doug. Well, on that note, we shall finish. So thank you very much for joining me, Robin. It's oh, always thank a you pleasure for having to see me. Yeah, it's been a while. Um, to you and to all our listeners, as, as I've said before, Merry Christmas, but also a very happy new year because we may have another episode before the new year to review the Chelsea game. I'm not sure if we will or not. It depends on logistics. But if we don't, I'll take this opportunity to wish all our listeners a very happy 2022. There's certainly plenty of room for improvement in general, isn't there? Even though the Albion themselves are doing, are doing reasonably well. So on that matter, I'll sign out in the usual way by saying stand or fall up the Albion. Sports Social Podcast Network. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.